0: At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Excited that we have another opportunity to gather and to open God's Word together. And today we're going to do so by looking into the book of Revelation again, as we have all throughout 2022 been looking at this great book. And we've seen in Revelation that it is a revelation of who? A revelation of Jesus Christ again and again. We've seen him revealed as the Lord of the church. We've seen Jesus revealed as the Lord of heaven. And beginning last Sunday, we are looking at chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation from being reminded that Jesus is also the Lord of the earth. Now, today we're going to, to look a little more in depth at that Subject. Uh, but before we do so, I, I want to just have you think for a moment about your own life and preparations you make for things that are coming. So, if you have something significant on your horizon, how do you prepare for that? Well, if it's something really important and really big, you probably begin to make preparations many days before that event happens. I know on Sundays, uh, I'm, I'm going to be preaching. And so my weeks organize around that and many, many months before I kind of map out where I think we're going to be on certain Sundays and then I spend the week leading up spending time studying. But one of the things that I've found is that if whatever time I have, I'll be spending a portion of that time getting ready for the big event that is coming. So even with this message all the way up to the start of our 830 service today, my mind is still thinking and, and adding in things and and packing that snowball a little tighter because we just have that time. And no doubt that's probably true for you as you prepare for significant events. I mean, just think of it this way. When was the last time you hosted a guest in your home? Let me ask you, did you spend any time before they arrived cleaning up and preparing your home? The answer is yes. And did you spend all that time a week before? Well, maybe you did some work to get things ready, but As you have more time and as they're driving into the driveway, you're putting away three more things or stuffing them into that closet that is just a little over full. I mean, this is what we do as we prepare. There's a sense of urgency as the day draws closer. Well, friends, there is a due date that is coming for something significant. We saw last week that there is a time that is coming when God's wrath will be coming upon the earth. But we also saw last week that there is a heart that God has towards us as God's wrath is being prepared for a future time. And that heart is that we would come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So knowing that the big event is coming of his return and the wrath of God that will precede it, Jesus is at work now to fulfill his desire to see us come to repentance. And even in the time that is immediately preceding his return, Jesus does not sit back and say, ah, we've done enough. But as a matter of fact, as the day's approach for his return, he is ramping up the effort to invite all to come to repentance. Friends, this is the message that we see in the verses we're going to look at today in part two of our series, Lord of the Earth, as we look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. We're going to spend our time in these verses today, and so if you've got a Bible, you might turn there. I want to read them for us, and then after I read them, we'll back up and make a couple of observations. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, starts this way. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then from 5 to 8, he references the tribes and says that it's 12,000 from each tribe. After this, I looked, verse 9 says, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see a couple of things about God's heart for us and his pursuit of us, his pursuit of humanity, even up to the time of his return. So where do we see that in these verses? Well, the first thing we need to see is this. We need to be reminded of what we saw last week, that there is future wrath that is coming. The wrath of God towards sin is coming to the earth. It is certain. But I want to ask a hopeful question. Since there is future wrath that is coming, is there also a future revival? Will people turn to God in any way in the days leading up to the end? We're going to see that today as we look at these verses, specifically in this section in the first 14 verses of chapter 7. Now, we need to be reminded again of the context. Some of us were here last week, some of us were not. Last week we looked at uh, the fact that the wrath of God was coming upon the earth, that King Jesus would also be the judge of the earth, and the judgment of God would come against Ungodliness and it would come in three waves and in seven movements inside of those three waves. So 21 different iterations of God's wrath that were organized around the seals and the trumpets and the bowls. This is a a certain reality that is coming to the earth. Again, we looked at that last Sunday. But we also saw last week that while this wrath was being poured out from God upon the earth, that most or many would not be responding by turning to God. Many would not be responding by turning to God. We saw that in places like Revelation 9, verses 20 and 21, where it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In other words, the judgment of God, the wrath of God comes upon the earth, and many stay in their ways. Well, as this is coming, well, we need to know that this time of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth has a name that is talked about in other places in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's it's named in Revelation 7 14 that I read a little bit ago. It's called the Great Tribulation. There will be this this time, this period, where these 21 movements of God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth in the time preceding the return of Christ, and it's a time that is called in Scripture the Great Tribulation. This title, Great Tribulation, was not something that John came up with, but it's actually a, a title or a phrase that Jesus used to talk about the time that immediately precedes his return to the earth. We see that in Matthew 24, 21, when he said... For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. So Jesus talked about the fact that there would be a time that would precede his second coming that would be called the great tribulation where 21 movements of God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth. Now, when we think of this great tribulation, what else does the scripture say about the great tribulation? Well, one of the things that the scripture tells us about the great tribulation is it calls it a time of Jacob's trouble or of Jacob's distress. Now, really quick, does anybody here know Jacob, what his other name was? It was what? Israel. Jacob had his name changed to Israel. So when Jacob is referred to, it's a, a reference to the descendants of Jacob or the people of Israel. Israel. Uh, He had 12 sons that formed these 12 tribes that, that became the nation of Israel. And in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7, it says this, Alas, that day is so great that there is none like it. It is a time for of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So whatever is happening in this great tribulation, it has something to do with the people of Jacob, with the people of Israel. What else do we know about this time that is the great tribulation? We'll come back to that in a moment. But what else do we know about it? Well, we also know that it is a period of time that will be seven years in length. Now, why do we think that this period of time will be seven years in length? Is it because I just like the number seven and we just picked it and we had to say something about it? No, it's because God and his word provides a clock to describe this period of judgment and wrath that will come upon the earth in the days preceding the return of Christ. And the clock that God gives to it is a period of seven years. Now, where do we see that? Well, we see it in Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. Daniel was in exile. He was looking at the prophecies that God gave to Jeremiah. And he was reminded that, that, you know, it was about time for God's people to come home. They were going to get to leave Babylon and they were going to get to go back to the promised land. And Daniel was wondering, Lord, is this the time that you will establish your kingdom and Messiah will come? And God gives a prophecy in Daniel chapter nine, inside of that context, verses 24 to 27, to instruct Daniel on the timing of when the end would come. Well, what is that clock? Well, he says in verse 24 and 25, he says that it'll be 70 weeks. Now, 70 weeks is a, f- a reference to 70 sets of seven, not seven days, but seven years. So 70 times seven years is how many years? Some, somebody, there's a lot of graduates in this service, so somebody ought to be able to answer this. If not, you got to go back and take math again. I'm sorry you didn't graduate. What, what is it? 70 times seven is how many years? 490 years, right? 490 years. So God responds to Daniel's question, is it time for the end to come? Is it time for the kingdom to be established? God says, no, it'll be 490 years from now. They're decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat but in a troubled time. So he says the first section of this will be seven plus 62. Now for bonus points in our math pop quiz today, 69 times seven is what? 483, 483. So there's this idea that there'll be a, a period of 483 years until something significant happens in God's clock. So, what is that significant thing that will happen? Well, the significant thing that happens after 483 years is this. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. The anointed one? Jesus. What happened 483 years after the decree was given in the time of Nehemiah to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem? Jesus came. And Jesus came on Palm Sunday. God's clock is spot on. But he will be cut off and shall have nothing. What happened to Jesus when he approached Jerusalem? He was rejected and crucified. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. There will be a destruction of the city, something that happened in 70 AD. That will follow the Messiah, the prince, being cut off. But if you're doing some math, 483 years, how many are left of the 490? Seven. So when does the clock start again? Verse 27, and he being the leader of the people that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD shall make a strong covenant with many for one period of seven years. And for half of those seven years, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What Daniel is telling us, friends, is that God hit pause on his 490-year clock with the crucifixion of Christ, and he's going to hit play at the start of the Great Tribulation. And then there will be one last seven-year period of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth. So we think it's a period of seven years. We also believe that this Great Tribulation is something that is still future. Notice when Jesus talked about it, he didn't say, you know, the things that, are, that I'm talking about in the great tribulation, the things that we see in Revelation chapter six through 18, they're things that are just gonna happen all the time. They're going things that are gonna just characterize a period of a couple thousand years. No, that's not what Jesus said about them. He said that these things that are getting ready to happen, they have not been, and, and they're gonna be unlike anything else that has happened in history. So they're a unique set of events inside of a seven-year period at a yet future time. And all of these things will precede the return of Jesus to the earth. Revelation nineteen eleven, where this amazing letter is headed, we'll see it later this year, has Jesus physically, bodily returning to the earth. And the events of this seven years of God's wrath precede his return. So if this is where things are headed with this great tribulation and when this wrath We need to ask the question. It's the same question that's asked in Revelation 6, 17 that we looked at last week. And that question is this. Can anyone stand when the wrath of God comes upon the earth? Can anyone stand? Will anyone make it out of that era? 21 movements of God's wrath upon the earth. Will anyone stand? The answer that chapter seven gives us is absolutely yes. But who is it that stands? Well, the first group that we see that stands in this time is those that God seals, those that God protects. We saw in the first few verses of chapter seven that God has angels hold back his wrath for a time, hold back his wrath to to create a, a season of calm upon the earth so that God can go in and seal a number of people. Put a, put a seal on them, put his name on them to protect them from the wrath and the judgment that is to come. That's what we see here. Now, this seal that God places upon them is something that indeed does protect them from the wrath of God that comes upon the earth during the tribulation. When we look at chapter 9, verse 4, it says that those that have this seal are protected from when the the wrath of God comes. And so, in in a sense, this seal that is on this group is very similar to what we saw in the time of Egypt when the, the plagues came upon Egypt. It was those that had marked their doors with the blood of the Lamb that the wrath of God passed over and did not judge. So also in the end time, there are some who are sealed that will be alive on the earth, but who will be protected from the wrath of God. So who are those folks? Well, we don't have to guess. The passage tells us. The passage tells us in chapter 7, verse 4, that it is 144,000 who are from every tribe of the sons of Israel. This is a remarkable statement, saying that in, in the time that is the end, God is going to initiate anew in in an aggressive way, reaching out and drawing in a number of people who are descendants of Jacob. In the time of Jacob's distress, when the wrath of God is coming upon the earth, God invites his remnant nation of Israel to come close to him and he seals them for salvation. And he seals some from each of the tribes is the number 144,000, a literal number. Uh, we don't really know, but I do think the idea is that what is talked about here is all of Israel who was alive at that time will come to know Christ as their savior. The reason why I think that is because of verses like Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. It says that there'll come a a time when the fullness of the Gentiles is done. This age of the church will come to a close, and then this period of seven years of great tribulation will come upon the earth, and at that time, all Israel will be saved. All Israel who? All Israel who is alive at that time, sealed by God, coming to faith in Christ for a purpose that God had for them. Now, question that we might want to ask then is, well, where's the church in all of this? I mean, when we think of who might be able to stand, who God might protect, it says here is that he is sealing the sons of Israel. But what about us? Where are we in this? If, If the judgment of God, the wrath of God were to start tomorrow, where would we be if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ? Well, I believe we would be in heaven. Why? Because we have been promised to be spared from God's wrath. We've seen this verse a number of times in our study, but in Revelation 3.10, Jesus gives this promise to his church. He says, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, the great tribulation, to try those who dwell upon the earth. How would God protect us from that time? Well, he raptures us to heaven First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Then we who are alive, who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with him. This phrase, we will be caught up together is, is the, the word or the idea of rapture or to snatch up So how is it that God protects us and spares the church from his wrath? He removes us from the world before his wrath begins to come to the earth. Now, if that is where we are, has God given up hope for the world? I mean, we saw that he's going to seal Israel on the earth at that time, but is he only interested in Israel at that time? And the answer to that, friends, is absolutely not. He's still interested in the nations coming to know him. And that's not just conjecture. We see that inside of these verses. On earth, we see a missionary force in the last days. God seals this 144,000, and it seems that they then are commissioned to go out and to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth with renewed urgency, Verses like Matthew twenty four fourteen say this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And this is something that has been the heart of God and his intent for the nation of Israel from the start. Isaiah 49, 6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant Israel to raise up the tribes only of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. God's heart, I will make you Israel a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And in the last days when the church is removed, God will seal his people and send them out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The question is, will anyone respond? The answer that chapter seven gives us is absolutely Yes, and we see that in this revival-level response in verses 9 and 14 in the section that we've looked at. It says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Now, who is this great multitude Too many to count from every tribe, tongue, and nation that John sees in heaven at this moment. Verse 14 tells us, these are the ones who have come out of what? The great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So as God protects the nation of Israel and sends them out, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. People are responding to faith in Christ. That's what the idea is here of being washed in the blood of the lamb so that they might be saved. And saved they are. There's a revival level response in the end. Now, given all of that, what response might we have to some of this? Well, a couple thoughts. The first kind of a response here is that we need to remember God's heart for the lost. What is Jesus doing in the days leading up to his return? Is is he, is he just packing for the trip? No, he's commissioning a witness to go and proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth so that everyone would have another opportunity, another chance to respond. How is God getting the gospel to the world today? Through us. I mean, through his word, through the work of his spirit, absolutely. But the primary vehicle is through believers in Jesus Christ going unto the world and inviting others to follow Christ in faith. That's what what we're doing. That's our mission today. And even after the church is spared from the time of wrath, what is Jesus still doing? But he is still pursuing the lost. Why? Because that is God's heart. If you do not have a heart for the lost, then maybe the heart of God has not impacted you the way that it should. If you don't have a heart for the nations to come to know Christ, maybe the heart of God has not impacted you the way that it should. it was intended. That is the heart that God has. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, know this friends, Jesus is interested in you. And he is pursuing you even today, knowing that there's a judgment to come. Jesus says, I don't want you to go through it. And so he has got you here today to hear that that judgment is coming and to hear that faith in Christ and following Christ is the response necessary. First thing we see is to remember God's heart for the lost. Second thing, respond to our prodigal God. Respond to our prodigal God. When I say prodigal God, I mean prodigious. Our God is prodigious. There's no one like him. What kind of God, when people sin against him, still chases after us? Only our God only our God. And he chases after us, he pursues us, like like that the father and the prodigal God story, he looks down the road longing for our return to him. Have you responded to him? Are you responding to him in faith and obedience even today? But a third thing, super important for us to see, If you are a found, seek the lost. You know, if you are a a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not that you're more righteous. It's not that you're smarter. It's not that you're more spiritual. Those those are things that God wants to work and grow in you, but, but you're not a believer in Christ because you passed some kind of a test. You're a believer in Jesus Christ because you have been found by the good news and the grace of God. And so if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, you're a found. But what is God's plan for the found? That we would seek the lost. That we would seek the lost. How are you investing your life to share the gospel with lost people on your neighborhood in your workplace? How are you organizing and investing your life and your finances and your prayers and your your vacations and, and even your potential vocational choice as far as being a part of those who are going to the nations to take the good news of Jesus Christ? Friends, if this is God's heart, if this is where it's headed, and even to the end, he has an urgency with this, we ought to, if we have the heart of God, have an urgency with this. As well, friends. Inside of these verses, we are reminded of this great truth: that though there is future wrath, there is also future revival. Therefore, let's go and let's invite others to follow Him. Got several other thoughts with these verses. I'll be posting them online this week, uh, but I, I wanted us to, to see this together. Would you would you join me as we pray, Lord Jesus? Thank you so much for just this incredible truth and the incredible hope that we have uh, in Christ. We, we, just, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to appreciate um, your pursuit of us, that it would remind us of your heart for us, but also your heart for those that do not currently know you. And we pray that you would motivate us and move us to be people who take the, the good news of Jesus to those that have not heard. We the found, that we would also seek the lost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Never once said, amen.